Well, next Sunday morning, we um, begin our summer series, and we began writing this weeks ago, and we are really excited about the conversation that we're going to have kind of from next week through to like mid-August. And you'll kind of see some of those themes and topics kind of highlighted this week through social media. And if there's a space where you're like, man, I have a friend who they would really benefit from this, uh, this might be one of those great kind of summers to tag them or invite them to come or listen to some things that may they find helpful in their life and situations that they find themselves in. But for this morning, we finish up this series called Sent, and looking forward to our, our time together this morning as we're going to gather around the Lord's table here in a few moments, and you'll kind of see how this all kind of weaves together uh, this morning. But before we get started, would you, would you pray with me? Our gracious and heavenly Father, you have called us to be light in the world, to be salt, to be a people who season the different environments that we would find ourselves in, that we would be miniature glimpses of a life that's different, a life that has been formed by and shaped through your spirit that lives in us. God, we pray as we finish up this conversation that we would be a people who learn to look for opportunities to articulate the good news that is connected to who you are. May you shape our lives this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Over the past number of weeks, we've been talking about this great task that we have been given by God, which is to be going, or which is to go into all the world and to tell others about Christ. This is this being sent out into the world to make disciples, to be a witness for him, to be his ambassadors, which is very much the theme of last week. We should be a people who know how to tell our own story of what God has done in our life. And if, you know, you've worked your way through this series with us, and you're like, man, I really can't, I really can't articulate like a before and after aspect of my walk with the Lord, um, I would encourage you to lean into that moment, that dialogue that you may be struggling through in your life. Um, we want to be a people that are aware of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit kind of prompts us. We want to be a people that is very aware of the, the audiences that we would find ourselves in, and there's a sensitivity to those places that we go, as we see in Paul's own life in Acts chapter 17. But for this morning, as a church family, as individuals, we want to be a people that are looking for ways, looking for moments, where we can actually talk about this person of Jesus Christ, the good news that is connected to who he is. And one such way that we do this, and this is more of a kind of a communal thing that we do, and that is kind of telling the story of the good news through the communion, through the celebrating of the Lord's table. And there's a passage that I want to highlight for you. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, it's on the screen, 23 through to 26. And you can kind of read along with me. And this is kind of one of the big grounding texts as we deal with and kind of walk through uh, communion itself. And if you're listening online or you're here for the first time, like, what is communion? It's it's what we're going to do in a few minutes connected to these silver trays kind of on this table. And, and you'll begin to see why this all fits into the conversation of being sent out into the world. So this is Paul writing to some friends of his in a city called Corinth. In the first letter that he writes, he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which... This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this 
whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, for some of you, this is just obvious. Well, of course we tell the good news when we gather around the Lord's table. But I will challenge you that it's not as obvious as you think, because there's going to be some things that we work through. You're like, oh, I didn't necessarily think of it that way. I've never really framed it that way. And then if you're just brand new and you've never actually been taught on anything to do with this, this would be like, oh, this, this actually makes sense on every level. When we celebrate the Lord's table, when we come around kind of this particular celebration or ceremony as it's such, there are three particular things that we are doing every time that we do this. This is all part of being sent out into the world. And the first one is that we are declaring that our hope rests in Jesus' death. That our hope rests in Jesus' death. And this was the entirety of the atonement series that we did as a church family leading up to Easter. When we worked our way through all of the different languages that are in the scriptures around the death of Jesus, we were talking about how God ultimately was reconciling the world to himself. We are talking about the conversations of how and where sin is actually dealt with and forgiven. We're talking about how those who respond in faith to this death of Jesus and his resurrection, that we have been bought with a price, and now our bodies are not our own, and we live our lives now for the one who has died for us, who has redeemed us back into a living relationship with his son. Without the death of Jesus Christ, there is absolutely no hope in the world in which we live. Without the death of Jesus, the problem of sin remains in our life. The issues of guilt and shame and identity and the ongoing kind of internal and external problems that we struggle through, we'll never really be able to work through them. Without the death of Jesus, the external and terminal problem of death remains, and the internal problems of our life will forever haunt us without the death of Christ. And every time we speak about the death of Jesus, whether you are a regular attender here or you're just visiting, you are hearing again, or maybe for the first time, about this good news of Jesus Christ. This morning, in a bit of a twist as to how we would normally do communion, I'm going to invite Wanda and Krista and the other servers out, and they're going to kind of pass the elements out to you in a minute. And again, there's kind of the, the two-for-one, the bread on the bottom and the cup on the top, but don't... Don't eat and drink yet, because we're going to like stagger this. We're going to pass it out. You're going to hold both. I'm going to talk about the bread for a moment, and then you're going to hold the cup for probably five or six minutes, and then we'll do that as we work our way through our service together this morning. We began our service this morning by reading John chapter 6, and zeroed in on some passages in 53 through to the end. And it's curious that in these, kind of like the first moments of Jesus describing who he is to people of his day, he connects the dots of like, I am the bread of life. And bread for individuals living in the first century, this was like essential to daily realities. It, it was the main source of nourishment. It fed them and nourished them in all kinds of unique and wonderful ways. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then he goes on this very bizarre tangent to say that unless you eat my body, uh, it's going to be a struggle for you, to paraphrase it. This morning, we want to just spend a moment thinking through this reality of Jesus being the bread of life. Jesus, the one who has come to offer life. And unless we consume him, unless we eat of this body, 
life is going to be a struggle for us here, but particularly when our life comes to an end. So this morning in the quiet, I would love for you just to think through your consumption, how you consume this bread of life that through his death has given you life. In a few moments, I would invite you just to eat where you are, just bow your heads and just kind of think through, how do I interact with the bread of life? And do I consume him in a way that brings me life? Without the death of Jesus, there is no hope. And every time that we gather to celebrate communion, we are highlighting that. That's one of the first things that celebrating communion allows us, affords us, is to talk about the death of Christ, which is very much linked and woven into the good news that has been given to us by and through God himself. The second thing is that it's captivatingly strange. If you're honest for a minute, communion is a strange ritual for churches. There's a strangeness woven into it. As a kid, I thought it was a snack for the adults. I would sit with my mom right over here, and I didn't figure out the rhythm until I was like eight or nine, but I'm like, why is it on the first Sunday of the month you guys get a snack and we don't? This was this weird form of injustice, and I would begin to make a scene with my mom, like, how come I can't get any? And so my mom would, like, tear off a piece of the really small piece and be like, here, like, don't make a scene. Like, it was a weird, I didn't understand what was happening, where our church growing up wasn't, like, overly ritualistic, but every month there was this weird moment where my dad turned into this master of ceremonies, my mom expected the greatest behavior from her two boys, which is very difficult to do, because the other two were off in class somewhere. But I thought it was a snack for the adults until I grew a little bit older. As a teenager, Communion Sunday was meant church was a little longer. Like, it was weird. Like, I would get through the bulletin in, in our church growing up. There was, like, an order of service. And some of you wish we would have one, and that's never going to happen. But, like, an order of service, where it's, like, welcome, offering, like, every single thing. So as a kid, I would take my mom's pencil, be like, gone, done, can't wait, almost there. And then there was this thing called sermon. I'm like, why does this one take so long? And then if there was communion, I'm like, oh, this, this day is going to be so long. As a follower of Jesus, as I grew to my later teens and early 20s, I realized that communion actually is this moment where we kind of stop and reflect and think about all that has been given to us, that afforded us through Christ himself. As a pastor, I see it in the visitor, the strangeness of this particular ceremony, this ritual. One of my favorite memories here as a pastor, this was years ago, and, and they, they no longer live on the island, this story that I'm going to tell you. So if they're watching online, kudos to you. Uh, but one of my favorite memories was we passed out communion, and off to my left, so your right, yeah, uh, was this brand new person who struggled with all kinds of very real issues in his life. Had never been in church before in his life, and it was Communion Sunday. So I remember the, the ushers kind of passing everything out and watching him look at the cup as though it was like a shot of tequila. He's like, mm, and, and down it goes. And there's this moment where I'm like, I'm trying not to kind of laugh on the inside and, and believing God and his sense of humor is like, oh, you have no idea kind of what this is. And it's just a bizarre, strange ceremony or ritual woven into a lot of our services. It is a strange habit, especially in a church like ours, 
where it's a pretty relaxed environment. Like you can leave right now and go get a muffin and come back. Like it's a pretty relaxed environment. My gram reminds me that I preach in shorts and like, I, I, I remember like last summer we were doing like online stuff and Amy got really upset at me because I wore a champion t-shirt and one of the videos things. And she's like, you wore that? And I'm like, yeah. And then there were other people in the church that really affirmed my attire, which really frustrated Amy. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> so given how relaxed we are, when we break into this ceremony, it can sometimes even feel even weirder because it's so outside of the normal patterns and habits of how we would kind of function together on a Sunday morning. It's when you're online and you're reading something and you're minding your own business and all of a sudden there's this like ad that appears that just forces you to click on it, something like this, where it's like man tries to hug a wild lion. You won't believe what happens next. And I'm like, I want to see this. I want to see what happens next. And it never is what I want it to be, where the guy's like completely ruined in the field. It's like this kind of happy ever ending. But it's these weird moments of like, you're just doing your thing, and all of a sudden this strange thing appears, and you're like, I want to see the train wreck unfold. I want to be a part of this. In the strangeness of communion, it actually creates a space to draw people in. It allows us to explain what it is that we're eating and drinking to people who don't quite understand what these symbols are. Because some, Dane and I were actually talking about this this morning, years ago when Cornerstone was very, 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 very young, there was a person that arrived, they'd never been to church before, and we were singing the song, uh, kind of in Emmanuel's veins, there's a fountain of blood, and this whole, and he's like, what on earth is this place that I have come to? Do they actually eat a physical body? Do they actually eat and drink blood. There's some denominations that actually believe this, that when you eat bread and the cup, that it's turning into the physical body of Christ, the physical blood of Jesus. First century clickbait would read something like this. People who love Jesus eat his body and drink his blood, and you won't believe what happens next. You like click on this, and you're like, what? And it's strange. This meal cannot help but provoke curiosity. And if you don't know this, in the first century in the Roman world, as they were describing these, this new group of people that appeared on their radar, they actually accused them of being people who were cannibals because they themselves read John chapter 6. They're like, well, their, their master, their leader, instructs them to eat the physical body and drink the physical blood of Christ. This was one of the accusations over them that they were a weird outlier group that committed acts of cannibalism. The strangeness around this celebration provides us an opportunity to say, no, no, listen, we're not cannibals. We don't eat physical bodies. We don't drink physical blood. But we do believe that there are symbols. We do believe that there are signposts to where life is really found. We do believe that Jesus died on a Roman cross. We do believe that he was raised from the dead. And we do believe that God has granted us an opportunity out of his love and grace for his world that if we respond to this in faith, this is where life is found. Communion affords us the opportunity to actually articulate this conversation of good news. So this morning, with the cup in hand, this is a picture, this is a symbol of the blood of Christ that was shed for you. That you and I might experience forgiveness of sins. That you and I might experience what new life is here in this world participate with the living God through the Spirit on a day-to-day -day basis, and one day, 
knowing he will return and make right all the things that are wrong. And it began that first Easter, that first Good Friday, in and through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you drink this with me this morning and celebrate this new life in him? When we celebrate communion, it reminds those of us who are followers of Christ that our hope rests in his death. It provides us an opportunity to talk about this strange ritual that we do, to explain what the bread is, to explain what the cup is. For the ones who are here, as a reminder for those of us who've been doing this for a long time, but also for the ones who are like, what on earth am I participating in? And then this last and third one is that it's a way that we make him known. It's a way that we make Jesus Christ known to our outside world. We see this woven into the text in John's Gospel, in John 14 through 17. If you want to have a good read sometime, I would invite you just to pull out your scriptures, whether it be kind of the paper version or the electronic version, and read these three chapters, John chapter 14 through to 17. It is a profound conversation that Jesus has with his first followers around the original communion service. He's there and he's explaining all the things that are about to unfold. He's explaining things that are going to happen after he has been killed and after he's been raised and after he goes back to his father. He's explaining the world is going to change in the next 24 hours in this incredible dialogue recorded in John's Gospel. In this conversation, woven into the language of these three chapters, Jesus quietly tells his followers then and his followers now, this meal is an opportunity for you to make him known. As a church family, this is one of the reasons why we celebrate one Sunday a month, because it forces us into the dialogue of making him known on that day, regardless of whatever the theme is, whatever the subject matter is, whatever the songs are, when we come to this moment, we are making known the good news of Jesus Christ through passing out the plate, eating and drinking the bread and the cup. We are making him known to those who are here and to those who are online. It's curious, when we get into the actual text of John 14 17, you see these phrases, and we'll highlight some of the key ones on the screen for you this morning. Jesus says to his followers then and to you here now this morning, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. And if we kind of stop here for a moment and just think through the significance of these phrases, I'm going to send to you, the ones in that room, but also to the ones in this room, I'm going to send to you the Advocate, the Holy Spirit. Why? To teach you all the things that I've said. To remind you of all the things that I've said. And when we stop and celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, we cannot get away from, or we should never forget, the phrases that Jesus himself said about who he is. I am the light of the world. I have come into this world so that you might have life, and life to its full. If you die and you know me, well, you don't really die. You're going to live on forever and forever and forever. Eternal life is knowing the Father. I have come into the world to seek and save the lost. If you are tired and if you are filled with burden and if you are just feeling heavy with life and its load, 
Come to me and I will give you rest and follow me and trust me. My favorite one is deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. We are to take these phrases out into the world. And communion forces us to pause and reflect on these things, make it known in services like this, but also through our lives. That there is one person who has come into this world to seek and save the lost. There is one person that makes knowing the Father possible, and it's found in and through Jesus Christ. There is one person who promises life to its full, but it requires you to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him each day of your life. Celebrating the table, celebrating the Lord's death, forces us into these conversations of reminding ourselves of all that Jesus said of who he is. Another part of the passage of Scripture is a little later on. It says this, Remain in me and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. I love the phrase that we will bear much fruit. And these are these awkward moments that I want to leave you in the awkwardness. Are people not necessarily coming to know Christ through you, but are they getting a glimpse? Are they getting some kind of explanation or conversation of who Jesus is through your life? Wherever we go, the language that we use, the way we speak, the things we participate in, the way we somehow look for conversations to tell our story as we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit as He prompts us to go and tell others, are we as a people bearing fruit in our life? And I want to be very clear. This is not the conversation of the fruit of the Spirit that grows in us as we follow Christ. This is, I, the salt, the light of the world, go into the world to bear fruit, to see people come to know Christ. It's that moment where Jesus in John 4 kind of tells his disciples to turn around and look at the city of Sychar, where the woman at the well just has this incredible conversation, and Jesus says, the fields are white under harvest. There's lots of people who I am already at work in, by my Spirit, drawing them in, Will you go and will you tell others about the one who gives water, the kind of water that you'll never thirst again? Are we a people where they are coming to know who Christ is? First and foremost, believing, hoping, praying, trusting that the Holy Spirit would bring them to a space where we would see them make decisions of faith and begin to follow Him. A little later on in John 14, 17, it says this, The Advocate comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from me, the Father, he will testify about me. When he comes, he will prove to the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit of truth, the one who lives in us, will prove to the world that we are wrong about issues of sin. I love this language that the Spirit of God goes out before us. This goes back to, I think, week two where we have to grow in our ability to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's prompting. Where Philip, you know, he's headed there. He's like, go there south on the desert road, the one that leads to Damascus, and you'll find this person. I don't know if you remember back to that morning, but it's like, go to Lower Melpec, and you'll find a red civic. And if someone broken down, they're like, like, are we a people who are responding to the Holy Spirit who is already at work testifying about who 
Jesus Christ is, convicting people on issues of sin in their life. And then lastly, and this is my favorite one, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may, may be in them. But I love the line that says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. We cannot just celebrate communion and kind of keep it here as something that we just do as churchgoers. We go out with a message to tell others about the one who has come to offer life. And I love that, that there's this great comforting aspect to it of Jesus is praying over the ones in the room at the moment, but he's also praying for you and I. Like, I'm praying for the ones who will come later that they will believe the message and how great their faith is because they're not going to get a chance to see what's about to unfold on Calvary and Resurrection Sunday morning. Jesus is praying for them there, but he's also praying for you here that as you go out into the world, Christ himself is praying for Phil, praying for you, that people that you talk to would believe the things that you're saying about who Jesus Christ is. As a people, in our great work of being sent out into the world, we have to learn to talk about this in real, practical, simple ways. We have to learn to articulate this in beautiful ways. In Romans chapter 10, 13 through 15, it's not on the screen, but I would love for you just to listen to this language that Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is in uh, chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have never heard of? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Church family, as you leave here this morning in a few moments, how beautiful are your feet if you take the good news of the gospel to the people that you know that you need in your life. Not in a, we're just going to force this on you kind of way. We've talked about that. But as we go here, do we actively begin the prayer life of Tomorrow in your workplace, like, is there going to be an opportunity for me to actually speak to a friend of mine that I've known for years about the goodness of God? Are there going to be spaces and opportunities that the Spirit prompts you to move into? And I know, yes, it's going to be a little bit nerve-wracking. Yes, I understand that there's inherent risk to these dialogues. I understand all of those dynamics, but we have been sent out into the world to talk about and the ones who, how beautiful are your feet when you carry the good news of Christ into spaces that you go. And it's curious, when you ground that passage of beautiful feet and you go into the language before it, this is the space of like, I have come to declare good news and hope for the, for the ones who are blind and sick and I will bind up the broken heart and I will set the captive free and on and on and on it goes. We go into our workspaces and into our families and into our lives walking alongside people who are actually kind of 
captivated by things that bring them harm and death. They are bound up by things that they wish that they could shed and lose. They are compelled into things because of evil that's at work in the world and in their human heart where they just don't want to participate in this stuff, but they think this is all that there is to life. That there's no other alternative. And Jesus comes into that space and says, follow me and I'll give you life. Follow me and I'll give you rest. Follow me and I'll restore things that are broken. Follow me and I will do things inside of your heart that you've been trying to do your whole life. You follow me and I will bring those things to pass. But it requires you to trust me. It requires you to, by faith, follow what I'm inviting you into. We're sent out into the world to tell others about Christ. That begins with your personal story. What has God done in your life? Can you articulate that in a clear and confident way? Do you cultivate in your life that, that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's prompting where you go? And if and when you find yourself in a spot where you can speak of the good news of Christ, are you sensitive to the room? Or are you just going to come in and like smash things over? Like that doesn't go very well. We've been sent out into the world and we can't ever forget that. Yes and amen to all the things that we do together as a community of faith. But if all we do as a church family is just kind of turn inward and eat together and study together and play together and whatever, we have slowly started to die. And we're unaware of it until it's 30 years later. We're like, how did we get here? It's because at some moment we stopped being sent out into the world. And we said, well, we have enough. We're good. There's, there's already too many people in my church family that I don't, I don't know. Why would I want to add ten more or one more? We are sent out in the world. Would you pray with me? Our gracious and heavenly Father, it is a tremendous comfort to picture you praying over us right now for us as we go out into the world that your prayers are so pointed that you're praying for the ones in whom we would tell others about Christ that they would believe our message about you. May we be a people who never, ever, ever stop living a life that is sent out into the world. And we don't have to go looking for these we don't have to do like special things on the weekend. We don't have to create soul winning whatever. Just live. We're sent out to the carry pool and swimming lessons with our kids. And if you stay there, you're going to sit there for an hour next to strangers. We're sent out into the world. Soccer season's starting. We're going to spend hours sitting watching our kids play soccer on beautiful Tuesday, Thursday nights, Saturdays. We're going to waste a lot of time. We're sent out into those spaces. Our workplaces, our family gatherings, our camping trips with friends. We don't have to create programs to go reach people. Our life is all that matters. But would we see our life that way? Would we understand that perhaps that 
someone that I would sit next to at a soccer field, you're already there at work kind of convicting them about issues of sin. That your spirit is already testifying to them long before we arrive. So that when we arrive, we might be like Philip and Acts where he just kind of shows up and they're already engaged in the exploratory process of who this son of man is. And that we might be the ones who explain, oh, let me tell you about this one. I follow him. It's fantastic. You should, you should as well. Because this is where life is found. We don't have to program this. We just live our lives for your glory. And wherever we go, we are sent out in the world to declare others about the great name of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.